welcome to Playing for the Master, a podcast on theater, faith, culture, and other shenanigans. Okay. Well, this is the... Uh, possibly... Maybe... It's sort of... Official podcast... For Unmuted Arts... And Master Arts Theater. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us on the Playing for the Master podcast. It is my esteemed pleasure to have two dear friends uh, with me today. We're going to be talking about our production that's opening this week. Um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, based on the classic Sidney Poitier film. And I have with me today um, someone who's become a a dear friend, uh, Doc Zadi Abiyadi. Am I saying that right, Doc? You're doing well. You can stay on the video. All right, all right. And then we have the director of the show, uh, Lorna Torres. Welcome, Lorna. Hi. Thank you, Tim, for having me. I am so excited to tell this story and so excited that I get to be part of the cast this time around. So thank you, Lorna, for casting me, first off. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) I'll I'll slip you that check after the show ends. Um. But what I'd like to do first is just uh, start off by each of you telling me a little bit about yourself, um, um, what kind of you're bringing to the table here today. Um, first, we'll start with Lorna as the director. Lorna, tell us um, you know, your history with Master Arts and what is it about this show that you really wanted to direct it? Um, I- okay, now you can answer again. <laughs> um, I've been involved with... Um, Master Arts Theater since 2013, where I was cast in another powerful show called Stand and Deliver. Um, And since that moment, I've been a part of Master Arts as an actress, as a director, um, a volunteer, and also now as part of the board. So I'm, I'm really happy to be part of this new family that I have. Well, it's no longer new, just at that time it was, but it's great to be here with them, sharing God's love to people through theater. And um, this show is very, very important to me because even though I'm not African-American, I come from a Hispanic background where Lots and lots of friends of mine um, have had to put through a lot of bias, a lot of prejudice because of our skin color, because of our our nationality. And this is a great show to give at this time because it's something that hasn't stopped. We think it has stopped, but it's it has not stopped. The prejudice, the the bias, the 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 meanness towards each other because of our color, because of our race, because of what we look like. Um, So it was really important for me as a non-white person, as a Hispanic person to give people the opportunity to see what a glorious story this is. And for them to understand, especially in the times that we are in now, and what we've been through in the past, 
what we need to do to change this, if we can still change, if people want to change. I want to change. I want people to change. I want this world to be just like Jesus says, everyone is per is like, you know, get along. Is everyone is 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 brother and sister. So Amen. yeah. Amen. So uh Doc, I'm just gonna call you Doc because that's what I love to call you. <laughs> what everybody <laughs> loves to call you, I think, right? That's what most people well, oh thank you. Well, there's some people who wish they didn't have to in terms of being family therapist, <laughs> <laughs> but they do call. Thank you. Well, Doc is a longtime supporter of Master Arts. He he comes around pretty much every show, and he usually drags as many people along with him as he can. <laughs> and uh, last couple of shows, he's fattened me and my family up a little bit with some marvelous desserts. Um. But Doc, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been coming to Master Arts and, and what this story in particular means to you. Uh, just a little bit about my background. I was born and raised in Harlem, New York. I'm sure people, I, I, uh, I failed the fifth grade. I was, I was in the ninth grade with a 1.1 reading level, meaning in the ninth grade reading at the first grade, first month reading level, <clears throat> just to share some of my background. Uh, shot at by the police three times by the time I was in fifth grade. That type of background, I just um, <clears throat> when people hear my brokenness in, in presenting myself, father left when I was in the fifth grade, mother raised seven children, uh, grew up on welfare, and had many hardships uh, in that area. Came to Michigan, <clears throat> finished college, uh, mining chemistry, uh, bachelor's in general education, didn't went on to receive my master's and I hold two uh, doctorate degrees uh, right now. That Now, that communicates I'm still a broken person. No sane person gets two doctorate degrees. Because uh, <laughs> you got to carry all that responsibility on your shoulders now. Uh, that's okay. I've, I've taken my brokenness. Um, my, my, uh, my relationship, I, honestly, Tim, I'm not sure when we started I, I just know when we found out about the Master Art Theater, I think one of your um, um, performers, act, actresses, um, is a part of the Potter's House in Grand Rapids, and I'm the advisor to the board. So I think uh, that's how I find, found out about um, uh, uh, Master Art Theater. And we, my wife and I were so excited. Um, we only go to PG movies. We, I, Matter of fact, when people say, hey, hey, Doc, you need to go see this movie, movie, my first question is, do they use the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, but it's a nice movie. There's no such thing as a nice movie that mm -hmm. uses the Lord's name in vain. And so uh, to find that quality entertainment that's family-friendly, um, Christian-focused, uh, I thought it was a dream come true. Uh, and when I when I met, met you, Tim, I thought about kissing your forehead, and I thought about it twice, and I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> um, my my background, just <clears throat> in terms of connection to this production, I watch uh, Sidney Poitier's uh, uh, um, uh, movies that he was in. I, I was, you know, it really it, this how warped I was. It was so uncomfortable at first to see an African American uh, standing up like that. And it made me uncomfortable because I was not used to seeing that. <clears throat> Then I found out, um, matter of fact, it was after college that I found out that Sidney Poitier's father is the brother to my grandmother on my father's side. Uh, so we're, we're related. Now, 
people uh, tease me, say he doesn't look as good as as I do. I'm okay with That's that. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, Lana, be nice now. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, in many ways, uh, in in the area of the discipline theater, he's, he's like Martin Luther King to me, um, standing up. In fact, I, I was reading not long ago about the first time, I don't remember the production where he actually hit uh, European American and uh, and his words, as I read it, that 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 slap was heard around the world, and and even articulated in a mean way, just in terms of just standing up to injustice. But um, guess who's coming to dinner is not only powerful in terms of that's the first production I'm aware of in the United States of an interracial uh, couple uh, expressing intimacy as such. But I'm in the interracial uh, marriage myself. Um, and so there's there's that um, connection in terms of my own life experience. Now, what I love, because uh, uh, you sent me a picture of your family and you have um, three absolutely beautiful daughters. And when you look at the picture of your family and your daughters and their spouses, talk about uh, an absolutely beautiful picture of diversity. I mean, because even even your daughters, uh, being mixed race children, have married people of other races. Yes. So it, it's a beautiful picture to me of of that passage out of the scriptures where, you know, they talk about people from every tribe and tongue gathered around the throne. Yes. You yes. know, absolutely beautiful. And I was so I was so taken when I saw that picture of your family. Um, You're very you're very kind. <clears throat> I just want to interject that most of the time people see the fit, our family pictures. They talk about um, how beautiful my wife and my daughters are, and, and never say anything about me. And as a therapist, I, you know what do you, what, what would happen if you had a father and had two daughters, and he only told the old, oldest daughter how beautiful she was, how much he loved her, blah blah blah, and never say anything to the youngest daughter? What is she gonna pick up? She's gonna pick up. She's ugly. What are y'all getting out of this? Your wife is beautiful. The children are beautiful. <laughs> thank you. I, I feel think really you, you leave people speechless, Doc. That's what it is. I'll oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is for both of you. Um, and Doc kind of start, started to answer this. Is um, when did when did you become aware of um, whether it be the film? or probably the film, when did you first become aware of this story? Lorna, we'll start with you. Um, when I was in high school, it's when I really started liking theater. Mm. And throughout those years, I started back when the eight, when cable had that amazing show cable show AMC American movie classics where you would watch all these wonderful movies that came out in the 20s 30s 40s 50s you know before I was born and we were studying Black History Month um, in college at the university and that's when I got into okay what actor should I look at mm. who should I you know, study to see, you know, what made him big in being the black, you know, black African-American. And Sidney Poitier came out 
because he, I had seen Lilies of the Field as a movie where we needed, where I needed to write about it. And so I wrote about Lilies of the Field and they're like, look what else he did. And then when I read about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I hadn't seen it. I read about it and it was a movie where not only it broke the barriers of mixed relationship in the 60s, but also it was a, also a taboo as to nobody wanted to do that movie. Nobody was daring to do that movie. And mm -hmm. between Sidney Poitier and Stanley Kramer, who was the director, said, we're going to do this movie. We are going to make people see, we're gonna make people uncomfortable about this relationship and I want them to see it. So that's what got me involved with that story. And then I just totally became enamored of Sidney Poitier and saw the rest of his movies. So it's just, it is a story so powerful in love because love has no bounds in this story. And then like we have around the world, they don't care. They don't care what color of skin they are. They love each other. They respect each other. They want to be together. And Sidney Poitier did it in that movie. And that's why I'm like, yeah, this is a good story. Really, really good story. We got to We got to do this. We got to do this and we got to do it now, especially now. So, yeah. How about you, Doc? Um, and thank you, Rhonda, for sharing that. I appreciate that. It was um, a dual impact on me. One, not on me and the community I was in. One, there was a sense, um, and let me say that uh, Sidney Poitier was far, like Mother Teresa, far ahead of his time. King. There was in the African American community, and with me, the community I was in. I can't speak for African American community around the world. I was raised and I was a part of and myself. There's a dual impact there. One, there was a sense that, um, here you have this African American who made it and you know, what is he doing with a European American woman? Mm. You know, kind of kind of a sellout, as we would say at that time, Oreo, dark on the inside, <laughs> white, dark on the outside, white on the inside. Um, it was that but then there's there was the other part, um, there was tension within the community in myself. And on one part, he's he's selling out on us. On the other part, he's standing up and saying stuff that we're afraid to say. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. So it was that, that, that dual tension there. And the, the thing that I find out about people, I, I sense, I believe about people who are prophetic and ahead of time, at the time, um, uh, they are sore spots to society we don't realize later on. You think about it, uh, uh, the letters from heaven, not one post or king, the same thing with uh, Sidney Poitier. While you, you are living, while you're doing it, is different. And so there's that tremendous rejection. And then we realize later on, wow, what a blessing it was what, that God was a part of this. And in a way, doesn't that reflect almost, I mean, not only the, the Old Testament prophets, but Jesus himself. Yeah. You know, the, the impact that they had when they were physically present, most people were thrown off Correct. by it and they, and they couldn't accept it. And it wasn't until after the fact 
that they could really see the truth in it. Yes. So that's so, so true. So um, I know Lorna, you alluded to this, um, but we're going to go, we're going to start on this question with doc and then go to you. The film originally came out in 1967. Right. Um, and I would, I know people in my life that just a few years ago, and there were some, even when we started considering this saying, well, we don't really need that movie anymore. Do we? <laughs> um, now I think, I think we've all learned a lesson over the last two years, but how do you think, um, do you think the story is still needed today? And if so, in what way? I think the story, oh, it's okay if I go first? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay, okay, all right. Because, you know, the, we do talk about age before beauty. Um, <laughs> that means I go first. It doesn't make sense in this one. You still got age and beauty ahead of me. So go ahead, you go first, Adam. <laughs> You're going to get two Oreo waffles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, there are some things that are timeless. Fashion ends. Things that are not fashion are eternal. The expression of love is eternal. And so this, for me, this is a story of love that's not bound by culture or fashion or time or uh, gender or political issues. And so... Uh, uh, if the term classic is appropriate, I don't know. Uh, but I, is that a bad word? Um, no. Oh, oh okay. No, no. You muted yourself so I didn't hear you. That's okay. Um, so it's in that, in that manner, it's a classic. It's, it's timeless because, because it's a love story. It's a love story that and it transcends um, uh, culture, transcends race and the taboos that we associated around racial issues. It transcends all that. And so it's always, a, it'll, it'll be a timeless expression of love. Mm -hmm. Lorna, what are your thoughts? Um, I think this story is, is a lead to what has happened afterwards. I think what's always happened in the past. I think um, it's a story that needs to be set to, told again and again and again. And it doesn't have to just be, guess who's coming to dinner? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's other stories that have, I mean, I'm sure there's other stories that have come out and tried to talk about interracial marriages, about, you know, bigotry, bigotry and, and, but I, I think this movie <coughs> is a start. It's a lead to what we want to give to people about this topic, if you want to call it a topic or this theme. And um, it's, it's a thing that we have to um, open our hearts and our minds and accept the fact that it hasn't gone away. Yes, there have been some different, it's a, it reminds me of a line in the story um, that Tilly says that, you know, is good. It, there's good reason to to not accept white people, uh, not trust white people, but also it's not you know, not good thing to trust black people. We 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 don't trust each other. Yeah, yeah. We don't trust each other. 
we because of that not trust that's why there's so much hate there's so much pain there's so much anger in that and um it's just it's just it needs to be told this story is a lead it's the beginning it's like a prologue to new movies coming out because of that theme mm-hmm. so i can't i can't express how how important it is for people to see it one thing that i have noticed um both in the film and as we've been working on the stage play is how really well crafted and well written it is because it isn't just a story about white prejudice. It's really a story about how all of us make assumptions in life about the people that are in our circles. And the moment that we get challenged Regardless of what your race or background is, the moment our stability is challenged, we tend to get defensive. And I think you see that in every character in the story. Um, They're having to not only convince the white parents, but also the black parents and the maid and, you know, the people that come alongside them to support them are really few and far between but every single one of those characters even the young couple have to get past their own preconceptions about how they think other people are going to react and i think the story is really really well written in that way so it's going to challenge you no matter where you're at no matter what what your preconceptions or your history is there's something in here that's going to speak to you and and challenge you no matter where you are if i may speak to that as a therapist for a minute i appreciate it Mm -hmm. when when um instability becomes normalized it becomes our perceived stability Ooh. And then when our perceived stability is shaking, then it's manifested the real instability. So that what happens when we um, uh, um, we are prejudiced or we are uncomfortable uh, with something, uh, but it's not challenged, it becomes the norm. And then when you challenge that norm, the instability is manifested and you have tension and conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the last two years with the uncertainty that's just come with everything, it's kind of heightened all of our reactions in that regard. And back to your uh, other question, your original question, the the power of this movie is that you have the manifestations manifestations of that instability in both African-American, European-American community. Yes. But uh, amid that instability, you have the stability of the expression of love in two couples mm. who are not yeah. shaken in terms of giving up by the instability that surrounds them. Yeah. Or that would even try to define them. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. Uh, you know, there, there are books and books and books out there on trying to define love and categorize the different types of love and 
you know, right now I'm going through the different love languages and, and, you know, how you and your spouse relate to one another. Um, but ultimately I think when you really trace it back to love being an essential part of God and his character, that it shouldn't surprise us that love takes us beyond where our own expectations are. Um, anyway, so one question I wanted to ask you specifically, Doc, is um, as, as you've already talked about, um, you're in a mixed race marriage yourself, um, have a lovely family as a result. Um, but I know you've shared with me in private before that that has come with some challenges for you. And so I wonder if you might speak to, and you don't, please don't, don't go into detail that you'd be uncomfortable with, but speak to a little bit to the challenges that you and your lovely wife have faced and maybe how this film or, or other stories like it um, have helped you or informed you in your journey uh, as a couple through the, the life that God has led you both on? Mm -hmm. um, let me, first of all, let me remind you, growing up in Harlem, New York, is really difficult for me to be uncomfortable. Unless you can have <laughs> okay. a gun right in my face. noted. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask anything, I have nothing high. Let me just share some of the things. Um, one, one uh, um, I'm trying to condense this. I was, just, just for public notice, I was born um, with a European American name. I, my name was changed as a result of the movement of the Holy Spirit. God put on me while I was in college, and I didn't even read scripture. Matter of fact, I grew up not really, uh, I, I couldn't acclimate towards a religion because all the pictures I saw of Jesus was of a European American. And then I see these European American oppressing. We were on welfare. I remember a social worker came in my house, and my my mother's iron broke, and she borrowed a neighbor's iron to iron. And they saw two irons, and they told my mother she better get away, get rid of one of them, or they're going to put her off the welfare list. So I, I I just grew up with that type of bitterness, and not realizing I had I had that bitterness in myself. But um, God put on this two times in my life, God actually spoke to me. <laughs> I, I often hear people always say, well, God said, mm, okay, yeah, right. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but one was, and I didn't even know scripture, to love your neighbor as yourself, and the, the spirit emphasized yourself. What the spirit revealed to me was as African-American, I hated myself. I have a whole different lecture on that. I don't think it's possible. It's difficult to be raised in our culture to really to truly love yourself as a, as a non-European, as a female. I mean, you look at our history, it's just mostly about men yeah. and women are nothing but an addendum. Um, and, and so, um, so, so I grew up with that. But in, so part of my calling, God prefaced that with my calling to ministry because I didn't love myself. And part of that journey is too long for this. I do this in workshop. Part of that journey was to re-identify myself with who God was, not because anybody who's African American, you know, we basically have European names. 
That's and I, I'm not saying that's a negative, but that's the result of slavery. Uh, yeah. My history with God is not in slavery. My history with people is slavery, not with God. And so the calling of of, of loving myself, who I am in Christ, um, really was hard for my family and hard for people close to me. Now I don't repeat it. People say, "What was the name you were born with?" I gave it. In my walk with God, I gave that name a funeral. It's not anti-European. It's not anti. And the kingdom of God is not anti. We make things in the kingdom of God anti because of our sinful nature. God God died for the world. Are people going to hell? Yes, because of their sinful nature, not because of God's love. Mm -hmm. And so God's love is always predicated, God's grace, love is always predicated on that, which is love. And so... um, Zadi, my first name means leader. Kamuzu, my undergrad focus was chemistry, means medicinal. I was going to go to med school until I took biochemistry. And then Abiade literally means born of royal blood. And the only royal blood in the whole world Mm -hmm. is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, so my family had a, a problem with that. And then, and so what they thought in their mind, they were so caught up in their own type. And I'm gonna call it racist. We'll call it racism. I know people would challenge African Americans would challenge me on that. African Americans can't be racism. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm calling it racism. And so, what they saw me as acquiring the name that God has given me as an expression of loving God and who I am as being anti-European American. And then when I married this European American, I'm conflicted. I'm I'm wrong. Uh, what's the problem? Why are you so black? Why are you so white? Uh, I, we went through all that. And of my whole family, nobody, cousins, aunt, nobody came to my wedding but two uh-huh. uncles and two aunts. Now, we had over 350 people at our wedding. I only had for my family two uncles and two aunts, and they were from Florida. I was raised in New York, from Florida. Came all the way to Florida. That was only representation in my family. It was rejection, rejection. Uh, and so the the film, I we live out the film. Uh, um, um, Sydney Poitier represents our experience so intricately uh, that you know it's just heart wrenching for us. Well, I'm not sure I answered your question. Oh, know. you did, and thank you so much because um, I have a I have a thing about God given names and and. We have names for a reason. So thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I also appreciate that story because, um, you know, once you're in the family of God, you know, your biological family may or may not be part of it. I mean, even Jesus will had to walk through that. Um, so to hear, you know, how God has created your family and taken you on that journey is fantastic. Um, so, Lorna, I have a question for you. Uh, you've been working with us, your cast now for about two months, almost. Um, when we're recording this, we're about to open in about three days. Uh, <clears throat> what have been the highlights to you so far of working with the cast that you have? And what would you say to people who are kind of, oh, should I see this play or not? What do you want to say to them? Well, the cast has been so good at getting to know each other, understanding one another, um, laughing with each other, just just all around, they get along. They know the story. And once it's time 
to get the story on stage, they are right on, focused, and ready to do what they need to do. Um, they've they've been prepared for this. They know it's going to be quite a show, quite a performance for the public, for the audience. Um, and so they've been they've been nothing but <laughs> absolute powerhouses when it comes to their emotions and their acting and their focus so true. in this show. <laughs> so, um, I mean, a lot of them have a lot of lines. A lot of them have, not a lot, but they don't need the lines to show the feeling and to give that emotion. And a lot of them do. Um, from, from Hillary St. George's facial expressions to Matt Drayton's long, long speech. I mean, it's, it's each and every one of them mm -hmm. has dedicated themselves to these characters and it has paid off, <laughs> paid off. And um, I can't be more proud of my cast. What was the other question? I got, I got distracted. Uh, what would you tell audience members that, I mean, you kind of went there. What, what would you yeah. tell someone who's not sure if they want to come see the show? It's just, I, this is my emphasis on this. We need as a Christian society to get together and bond to see what, because some of us as in a Christian family, we don't see a lot of the stuff that this story is going to be talking about. A lot of us have been sheltered in our lives um, yes, this is not good, this is not good, this is bad, whatever, but we never have seen it. We've never lived it. We've never had to decide on it because we've always been so sheltered. And um, I just want people to see that this is happening. It has happened through the years, even before 1967. It's happened for more than hundreds of years of how how bad racism is, how, how sad this society, you know, has had with this. And I just want people to, to like come see it so that they can understand that God is, God doesn't care what color your skin is. He don't care. He doesn't care. You follow him and he's gonna be mighty happy mighty happy that you are following him and I don't care if your 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 skin is black I don't care if my color is brown I don't care if your color is white yellow purple I don't care people need to see it for that reason enough I think, I think that's something that especially theater can do even more so in an intimate space like ours perhaps even more than a film can because it's not people up on a screen. It's people that are a few feet in front of you. And you're seeing that story play out in a very intimate way as that audience member right there with real people from your community right in front of you. And I think that's some of the power of live theater. Can I add to that, please? Yes. I, I would say to the people, uh, to your question why people should come, there are people who feel that the uh, racial divide has um, is gone or diminished. Uh, it's not uh, an issue anymore. Uh, that, that was true during 60s, 
excuse me, Poitier's time. Let me just share. I am here now. Uh, I, in, as a part of the United Methodist Church, I, I served, I believe it was eight churches. Of the eight, six of them were European-American churches. Every church I went to, people left before I got there. We're not talking about my father, grandfather. We talked about me. Mm. It's still, It's still there now. When you compare it, are people being hung from the tree? No, but the, the the manifestations of the racial divide is still there. Matter of fact, in our, I'm uncomfortable saying what I'm about to say because it sounds like I'm bragging. I'm pro- I apologize. I'll be 69 years old tomorrow. In all the places I worked, there's only two times I worked for somebody who had more education than me. And so everywhere I went, I had struggles because. I sense the insecurity of the people I work for, and I was trying to help them. And so that that tension is still there, and people need to come because we need to find a way, a safe place to talk about it. Yeah. And let me just say one other thing that I'm going to share uh, at the question and answer, if I can do an introduction. What we need to understand very clearly, I've never heard anybody share this, and it may be out there. I just didn't read it. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sin. When, first of all, God's spirit is in all humanity. You look at all creation, living creation. The only one God breathed into was Adam, and that's shared with Eve and passed on. So God's spirit, that's the image, is in all of us. The other thing I want to share is that when God created Adam and Eve, the DNA of all racial groups were embedded in the DNA of Adam and Eve. Yes. God created it from the beginning. And so I'll talk about it more, but I do that more at workshops. Uh, so it's not surprising of all what we call the racial groups. I explained that a little bit more. But I want everybody to understand that the DNA was there. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, because that was the next thing I was going to lead to is is where we're going to go with those Q&A periods. So I just want to encourage everyone, um, don't just come for the show, because we're going to have a time of discussion and question and answer. And this is definitely a show that you're going to want to walk away, not just say, hey, that was a nice show and walk away from it. You're uh, Hopefully you're going to walk away and say, OK, this is something I want to think on more that I want to talk to others about. Um, so I'm really, really appreciate Doc being willing and um, really need to thank his lovely wife for releasing him so many times to come and do this for us. Um, so my co-host is not here, um, and he's the one who usually engages in, in shenanigans. Um, so to honor John, my co-host, I have to ask this final question. Um, that we ask every guest who comes on the podcast. Oh, prepare, um, Doc. Oh, prepare, Doc. You want me to go first, Lon? You want no. me to go first? No, you go ahead and first. I, I, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, Doc, I'll go first. Okay. okay. I got you. We'll back. go with Doc first. So, Doc, you, uh, hopefully you've listened to one of our podcasts. because You might know what's coming. I don't. <laughs> so, if, if you had a superpower... Based on a fruit or vegetable, what would it be? I'm lost to that question. If I have, 
I, I told you, Doc. <laughs> a fruit or vegetable-based superpower, what would it be? Jim, I, I don't even know how to answer that one. <laughs> now, you know, now you know how I felt when we had to answer it the last time, Doc. <laughs> you my you last actually time. had an answer for that? I, I came up with a, I don't know, it just came out. I That's because I didn't know what else to say. So Let me, yeah. make, sure, uh, let me make sure I'm clear about the question. That if I have the power to do something with a fruit or vegetable, I'm not clear about the question. That's where I'm stumbling. It could be like, and we've had so many different examples of answers. It could be like a characteristic of a particular fruit or vegetable that then would become your superpower. For example, like pineapples have that hard skin and you could, you could, you know, ah. pineapple armor. Or we've had somewhere where like people um, could manifest their favorite fruit at any time to eat right, it whenever I'm good. they need it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, from this, from that perspective, I have to go with a grape because because whether you do anything it, it whether you do anything with it or not, there's something sweet that the grape offers to everybody, and even when you nasty and you crush it and scrape it and, and put it in the way, uh, it, it'll, it'll ferment and something still good will come out of it. So you cannot destroy the power of the grape, whether you just take it or crush it. And either way, it has meaning. That is good. That is one of the best answers I've heard. Yep. Now mine's, mine's just put to shame. I don't really even want to say mine anymore because that's... <laughs> well, uh, you know, Lana, can I help you with this for a minute? Yeah. When I look at your face, whether you smile, hold on, let me finish before you laugh. <laughs> whether you smiling or look angry, you just look beautiful. And so you present that greatness in your appearance. Thank you. See, I, thank you, because somebody needs to think for me, because I really had no idea. I mean, I was going to think cherry, the cherry disposition, because I'm always smiling most of the time. There you go. And, you know. It could be cherry. I'll take grape too. I'll take grape too. That's fine. oh yes. Oh, can, yeah. I, I bet you. Can we do something right quick, Lana? Before you, yeah. you hang up, can you try to put on the ugly face? I just want to see what it good looks and looks like on the ugly. I, I well, you got to ask Tim to get me mad. Then I'll put an ugly face on. Oh, there. see, here's the thing though. When <laughs> I get Lorna mad, she starts talking in Spanish. Oh, I love it. Sounds, it. I love it. I it love sounds it. So absolutely beautiful. She could be telling me off in 21,000 ways. And I'm just like, oh, that sounds beautiful. You <laughs> <laughs> think the great to the next level, Tim. I love it. Uh, you, yeah, I have, yeah, it's funny, Doc, because you, yeah, I, he says something and I just look at him and I just, and then somebody in the back room goes, uh oh, here it comes. It's coming. And then it comes out. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And I don't feel bad. I can explain it from a psychological perspective. He has an addiction to alcohol, and so you you satisfy his taste. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for joining me and being willing to have a little shenanigan fun at the end there. And. Um, I just want to remind everybody that um, tickets are on sale for guests who's coming to dinner right now. Um, they are going fast, so call soon. Um, the show opens on February 17. It's going to run for three weekends. 
And make sure if you come that you stay just a little bit afterward and hear and be part of that question and answer that discussion with Doc. Um, I promise you, you are not going to walk away from this show disappointed. Um, just knowing the cast, knowing the work they put in, knowing the conversations that are going to happen as a result. This, I think, is going to be a show you're going to remember for a long time. Um, thank you both for joining us. I had a ton of fun. I, I want to keep going, but I really can't. So I got to um, go too. So. <laughs> thank you, Doc. Thank you, Lorna. And everybody, please uh, come on out and see guests who's coming to dinner at Master Arts Theater. Thank you so much, Tim. Goodbye, Doc. We'll see you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Playing for the Master, a co-production of Unmuted Arts and Master Arts Theater, both out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our theme music is Rondo Giocoso, a piece written and performed by Richard Sertia. Our podcast is edited by Tim Van Bruggen. The views expressed by the hosts of this podcast are completely their own and may not reflect those held by the organizations as a whole. If you have any comments or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed, please email them to director at masterarts.org. Thanks for listening.